We're going to get deep into GM's sales efforts today. This is AutoLine. General Motors has seen a dangerous drop-off in sales and an alarming slide in market share. It's a problem that's been going on for years. This is a key reason why GM brought in Bob Lutz to revamp its product line and come out with exciting new cars and trucks. Lutz went out and did exactly that. Indeed, GM has a number of award-winning vehicles in its showrooms right now, but GM's market share continues to decline. That's why my guest for today's show says that GM does not have a product problem. He says it has a sales and marketing problem. Jim Dollinger is a car salesman who sells Buicks, and boy, does he know how to sell. In fact, he's the most successful salesman who sells any GM product line and claims to hold the all-time record. He's written a manifesto that he calls Return to Greatness, which he claims could save the company. So far, GM has ignored him. Now you get to hear his plan. And joining me on today's show are David Kiley from Business Week magazine and Paul Eisenstein from the Detroit Bureau. This is going to be a good show, so stay right where you are. We'll be back after this. From our studios in the Motor City, this is AutoLine. Here now is John McElroy. Welcome to our discussion right now with Jim Dollinger, allegedly the greatest salesman GM has ever had. Also, David Kiley from Business Week magazine, Paul Eisenstein from the DetroitBureau.com. And Jim, also, you've written this, uh, this manifesto, as I call it, Return to Greatness, which is your blueprint of how to turn General Motors around. But uh, let's start out on a point that I think uh, really is the most interesting that you make. You're saying General Motors does not have a product problem. You're saying it's got a sales and marketing problem. Exactly. And elaborate a, a bit on that. What do you mean they, they don't have a product problem? Well, John, if you got the best joke in the world and you don't tell it properly, it's not funny. <laughs> if you got the best cars in the world and you don't market them properly, they don't sell. So what's GM got to do to market its cars properly? I know that's a big question. There's a lot to say about it. But in a well, nutshell, is, what does GM have to do? Marketing is more than the sale of the car. A buddy of mine is a plumber. He called me years ago and wanted to know how we should get into the business. And he got into new builds. Then he called me because things were slow. I recommended he do free house calls, free service calls. You pay $85, somebody come over and just look at it. Well, he's doing it for nothing. When he gets there, he gives a price, they haven't fixed it. He's so busy, he's hiring an assistant. So it's about marketing and how you treat people. Okay. And you so gotta have the right strategy. In the art of war, the battle is won the night before in the tent plotting your strategy, not out in the field. Patton read Rommel's book. You have to know what you're doing. You have to have the right strategy. And if management can come up with the right strategy to sell Pontiacs, we don't get rid of Pontiac. We get rid of management. Okay, okay. Uh, how, wh what would you have them do if you were running management then? How would you change GM's sales and marketing? Well, well let's look in the past. Remember Lee Iacocca when he turned around Chrysler? He came out and he said, if you can find a better deal, take it. Let's have some leadership. I would come out, the very first thing I do, if you want to pay freight, get a foreign car. Eliminate the destination. Get rid of one of these hairball rebates if your Aunt Sally landed on the moon and it's compatible with your GM card or you're a member of the Cattlemen's Association. Net pricing's the same, but let's come out with leadership. You want to pay freight, get a foreign car. Knock it right off the price. Easy to understand, keep it simple. 
The next thing is let's put every one of our salaried executives out in a dealership one day a month. In the service department, not at the golf course having lunch with the dealer, but in the service department, shaking hands with the customers, being a face of General Motors. Let's get out in the field. Ross Perot tried to tell us that. He called the board of directors Pet Rocks. Let's get out there. He'd go on a Saturday and go to a car dealership. Let's go out and meet the people. We should do that. And our award winners, you know, AIG, they're going to these fancy vacations. Let's not go to Naples and Laguna Niguel, but we got to have awards for our top performers. Bring them to Detroit. Take them to the proving grounds. Let them see a car crash tested. Let them drive on the test track and see the advanced product. Take them to the styling studio. Let's send them back to New Hampshire and Iowa and have them excited about General Motors. Send their spouses to our best salons and go to Ford Field or the Joe and watch a game. And then they go back goodwill about General Motors in Detroit. You see, our executives can stay home with their families. We'll save money. There's concrete things that we can do that are proven effective, and we can save money in the meantime. Get off this advertising, this distressed merchandising. Let the dealers do it. Get out of their business. How do you sell so many Buicks? I mean, uh, I'm not in the car business. I'm in the people business. Okay, but talk a little bit That's about that. That's how I sell so many cars because people call me when they want a car. So many people perceive the Buick brand as for being like over the hill for old fogies. How do you sell so many? <laughs> Well, we're down to three models. We've got the Enclave, the Lucerne, and the Lacrosse. But see, this is part of marketing. They tried, I think, to drive the Buick dealers out. We got everybody in rendezvous, we quit making it. The Sabre's the highest volume, highest quality car, we quit making it. Why? You know what they're going to call the 2012 Camry? Camry. <laughs> we got brand equity and we throw it in the river. Yeah. It makes no sense. You take G3, G5, G6, G, G freaking Willikers. Why wouldn't you call it the Bonneville, the Grand Prix? Oldsmobile used to have the shift here, they put it just here, got rid of the names, and your father's Oldsmobile went out of business. Now, are they doing it on purpose, or are they that stupid? It's time for some accountability. It's not the price of gas, and it's not the economy. It's the people running this place. We made money in the Depression. But you've got to get people in there that know what they're doing. What do you think of the idea of combining GMC, Buick, and... They tried to do Pontiac, and looks like the government killed Pontiac. Closing Oldsmobile was bad enough. Mm -hmm. Spinning GMAC was like shooting yourself in the foot. Now we're going to slit our throat and get rid of car dealers? It's stupid. Well, Jim, I mean, we're sort of in a situation with GM, though, where their market share, as we know, has gone, gotten you know, way down to about 18 and a half, 19 percent. Like a flight of stairs. Right. Yeah. And, they, and the, it, it is terribly over-dealered. I mean, there, there are a lot of markets. I just, I mean, thousands of dealers can't, 18, 19% market share is not going to support that many dealers. This is a 40% so, I mean, we're talking about network. your objection as to what they've done. They're dealing with the situation they're in now. I don't see a recipe for keeping a healthy dealer network in business competitive with this kind of market share, as big as it is right now. Let me relate to you like this. Imagine you own a car dealership. How much does it cost you to have salesmen out there if you pay them by commission? Virtually nothing. Mm -hmm. They sell, you pay them. That's what dealers are. They're the strength of General Motors. And to cut dealerships is the single worst thing they could possibly do. They ought to it, go down there, and they shouldn't just tell these people to go away. They should probably be arrested. Yeah, but, this is going to create decimation across the United States. Dealerships that sponsor high school football games. It's bad enough that police stations and schools are closing, and we have less firemen. This is serious. I'm very serious. These people got to go. And it's got nothing to do with the number of dealers or how many retirees we got. Like Keith Crane said, if we sold another million cars a year, we wouldn't have these problems. You need to help me with the math, though, because, again, I'm back to okay. these urban markets and suburban markets that maybe have 
you know, two and three Chevy dealers or two and three Buick dealers that are too close together for the market, for the market share GM has. And so what you what you wind up with are dealers that aren't profitable. Competing, competing with one another. Competing with one another. Driving down and, and margins. Not profitable enough to improve their facilities and, and hire the best people and all of those things to compete against Toyota and Nissan. I mean, that seems like a an unfortunate but realistic view of, of where they're at. Across the country, you have to analyze this, and over time, you make adjustments based on market conditions. If you take Columbus, Ohio, for example, Honda's probably got 70% of the place. Mm -hmm. But do we take the market share back, or do we fold up and go home? I'm not a white flag kind of guy. I think we've got to look at what we can do to take back market share and to sell more cars, and then we'll be thankful that we've got those distributors out there. But Columbus has that market share because, I believe, because of Honda's enormous presence in Ohio, just mm -hmm. like... What's the market share of General Motors and the Ford and Chrysler in greater Detroit area versus the market share of Toyota and Honda? But in California, New York, on the coasts, I mean, you, you, can, you, can, try, you can drive around for a half an hour before you see a, a Fusion that's not a rental um, or, or a Chevy Malibu that's not a rental. So mm -hmm. I, I'm with you. I mean, my Little League Chevy dealer sponsor just went out of business in my hometown I'm after you know decades in business. So I, I'm there with you. But it doesn't seem very useful to talk about what we should have done. I'm looking at this situation they're facing now and going forward, and I don't see how they support this many dealers on any. We do by selling more cars. And the way we do that is by implementing things that make sense, proven effective principles that will yield results. And we have accountability. That's what we got to look at. Instead of going down, you know, the results don't change the last 20 years. The results are the same. It's just the excuses that change. Well, you, you mentioned something. What are we going to do that's going to get us different results and start growing the business? Right. You mentioned something a couple minutes ago. And we need those dealers. You started talking about this in war terms. Uh, if you want to get into war uh, philosophy a bit, uh, you look at somebody like uh, Mao Zedong or some of, the, uh, some of the other Asians who will look at it from a different perspective. And their argument is, unless you get the hearts and minds, no matter how powerful you are, you'll lose. And one of the questions that I look at is, how do we get the hearts and minds back? The argument you were just going at talks about key markets where you may have a strong presence. The Midwest is the last stronghold of Detroit. But when you look to California, to your point, Dave, you don't see it. And if you see cars out there, they're either rental or they may be light trucks. People out there don't even consider GM or Ford or Chrysler. How do you get the rest of the country, where the big three don't matter, to start making it so that they do matter? That's an excellent question. And I believe what you're saying is right on the money because it's about perception and it's about image. So we have to get off the distressed merchandising where our ads feature $10,000 off. We bring my buyers in when we're willing to give away our product. We have to change our merchandising and the way we approach things. This is the critical issue, is to change perception. People tell me they don't even want a General Motors car. Guy calls me, wants to buy a car for his daughter. He's writing a check. She doesn't want a General Motors car. But she wants a convertible. I tell her about a Saab. She says, oh, good. She didn't know it was part of General Motors. She's driving it. So it's about perception, and that is what is very, very important. In, in the last month, in April, GM's share actually shot up to 21%. 21.9% last month. Uh, not April. Look for April. April, it was up to 21. But it looks to me like the, there's two things possibly that turned that around. 
because all the news is bad about GM. I, I'm, I'm curious what brought people into the showrooms. What do you make of the GM assurance program that says, hey, if you lose your job, we're going to cover your payments? That's number one. And number two, what do you think of that rally cap campaign? You know, turn your hat inside out. What have they done for showroom traffic in terms of you rally selling cap cars? hasn't really probably amounted to a whole lot, but I kind of liked it. The total confidence program, though, when you tell somebody, if you're going to lose your job, we'll pay your payments for nine months up to $500. Offer ends April 30th. Now, if you're going to make a decision based on whether you get a job, are you going to make a snap decision by the month? No good. And GM employees not eligible. What does that tell your own employees? So, you know, no, that's like the road to redemption and the total value promise, which was really about cutting dealer margin. You can't believe half of what they say, and even the most loyal GM people are turning against them now. Their salary retirees and their multi-generational dealerships are at odds with General Motors. So you don't think either one of those campaigns really did anything? Smoke and mirrors. What, what will it take then to get people to start coming into the showrooms? I, I agree with you. You sell a million more cars, it fixes all the problems. How do you sell a million more cars? Especially well, One in this thing that'll help, John, is you take, for example, after 9-11, and I think the car companies deserve more credit than this one before Congress. We came up with Keep America Rolling and 0% and got the economy back going on its feet. But it was simple. You didn't need a sundial and a Rad McNally Road Atlas and a, a slide rule and a computer to figure in stackability and compatibility, all these confusing rebates. It was very simple. And that's what we need to do. Instead of this hurry before it's over and two days later it's back again, let's have it that, you know what, September 1st, here's the deal. We're going to change it New Year's. You want to order a car, it's okay. You're going to move across the state, doesn't matter where you live. Let's make it simple so our salespeople can start concentrating on explaining quadra steer or active steering that we were talking about earlier. You know, we're so confused with all this New York Times crossword puzzle of incentives. It's crazy. I mean, get down in the field, go out in a dealership and see what we got to deal with. It's nuts. Back, back to the point of whether there are too many dealers, though. But if you have three dealers in a, in, a, in a suburban market, let's say, who are beating each other's brains out for the same shrinking pie, the things that you're talking about, if you're, it, what I would say that, that they're going to is they're saying, okay, in, this, in these markets, we want the guy, the dealer that's the best performing, most profitable, has the most modern facility, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, so that that guy can now better afford to make the customer handling and service uh, uh, moves that, that you're talking about. If they're all sort of scratching for dimes, uh, against the one big new Toyota dealer in town or, or, or the new one big new Honda dealer in town. Um, I, I don't see that happening. I, I, it just, this, this is one of those cases where it seems like, and I hate to say this because I know these are people's lives and, and, and livelihoods and histories and families, but addition by subtraction. I mean, this is a little like gardening. Sometimes you have to prune the rose bushes back to the ground to get better growth coming, you know, back the, the, the next year. Well, as a free market capitalist, I think the market should determine that, not the manufacturer or not the government. Each of these dealers and each of their employees have dentists, have grocery stores they go to, mm -hmm. dry cleaners, family. So maybe we're not just going after that same one customer. Maybe the fact that we got three to one against Toyota and we start turning this thing around for real We'll swamp them. They'll be the ones worried about bankruptcy, not us. Well, so it's really a question of leadership. It's not a matter. See, don't get confused. Right now, see, they've, they cut the retirees. They borrowed until they can't anymore. They got the government bailing them out. They're taking things away from everybody they can, okay? 
and now they want to close the dealers. They're deflecting the issue. The issue is the people running their company, and they got to go. Jim, we got some uh, questions in here from uh, viewers of our. Uh, we have a MKTNB from Twitter who says, how does the state franchise laws handicap GM's ability to shed divisions and internalize or, or internally cannibalistic models? Thank God for state franchise laws. And yes, they will create some obstacles to just flat closure. Every state's different. You know, you take Michigan, for example, and we're wondering, and nationally, they're talking about cash for clunkers. Uh, you can write off the sales tax, I think, just on new, on your income tax. Mm -hmm. But here in the state of Michigan, where we're looking for solutions, I think we should go to tax on a difference. If you, you buy a car for 30000 and trade in one for twenty, you you're spending 10000 Why should you make the checkout for 1800 You know? That only makes sense. I, last I knew, 33 states out of the country had tax on a difference. It should all be that way. You only should pay tax on what you're spending. Tax on 10000 instead of yeah. 30000 Let's do some rational, effective things that make yeah. sense. And you know what? If you want to buy a Toyota or a Nissan, it's the same thing. It's tax on a difference. And you should probably include motorhomes and boats as well, motorized vehicles. Tax on a difference. See, we've got to do logical things, simple and easy to understand. I can't, you know, if your car gets this mileage and you buy this car that gets this mileage, for crime in Italy, I'll be lucky if I sell one car all day trying to figure out the EPA ratings. Hey, what do you think of, uh, this is another Twitter question, uh, the Saturn dealers looking to buy the Saturn franchise. you see that having much chance of going anywhere? Well, there's 360 or 80 of them, mm -hmm. I suppose. And uh, they've got a good brand name out there. And they're known for pretty good service. They were starved of product for a while. But it could happen. You know, they got the retail network. Maybe they buy cars that are made in Sweden or China or wherever and distribute them. Yeah, isn't that, isn't that the best example of what GM has done wrong to me? No failure has been more clear than, than how they built up Saturn and then just let it fall away. I don't know that it ever made any money, so that would qualify it as a failure. <laughs> yes. This is a good question for a dealer, though. Anybody who's looking at Saturn seems to have kind of the same business model, which is run the clock out with GM, although don't shut the door on GM being a future supplier of vehicles, but basically create a Saturn showroom that might have cars from China, that might have cars from Europe, that might have, uh, you know, from India. For, is that a recipe? Would you buy into a, into a business model like that as a dealer? That sounds, I mean, why is somebody going to do that when they could, like, go to a, go to a Ford or Honda or Chevy store or, or Toyota store where it's all pretty predictable, it's all consistent, you know what you're doing, you know what there is? I don't get that business model. Well, part of the market would consider buying a car, I suppose, like Dell Computer, where you select the color and the components and the body style and make, model, and so forth, and then you have it built specially and delivered to the point that you want to pick it up. I believe that when I say it. I believe that It could come to that, but I'll tell you, as a salesman of many decades, that the car business really is an emotional thing. Mm -hmm. People like to see the car, look in the trunk, they want to touch metal, they want to, you know, mm -hmm. appreciate what they're seeing. So, although there's a segment of the market and there's ways we could address that, like if you want to order your car, I'd have cameras, it wouldn't cost us anything like YouTube, you could watch your car come down the assembly line, you could email people, people their, their VIN as soon as it's built, and we could, you know, for those people that like that information or the Twitter, I don't quite understand that, I'm on Facebook, but you know, there's people that are into, you know, information and communication, like Jerry York said, communication, communication, communication. Let's communicate with our customers. We've got to get people on the same page. Should we, by the way, in line with that, would there be a, a 
plan for some manufacturer to come in and de-emphasize the uh, immediate gratification approach that most American uh, manufacturers have approached, have, have followed, which is, I want a car now, what's on the lot? And go to a more European model where you don't have a big lot and the idea is to have more variability and uh, you build it for me and I just have to wait six weeks. Is that, is that a different Cuts approach? Cuts down on the floor planning costs. It would, and the dealers would be in favor of that, but I think we're still a nation of tire kickers. Mm. People want to come in and look around, and they want to sit in something, and they want to compare this and that. Now, I'm calling me ahead of time, and I'll have you know, two, three cars lined up, check them for gas, got the plate ready, so when they get there, I'm not chasing, wasting their time. It's organized, and they can go, and I ask them, you know, like to pretend they're an editor of Road and Track magazine or something. I'd like to know, what do you like about this one, that one? And that's hard to do just on a computer. Yeah. But certainly information is just wonderful on the internet because customers will call me and they want a CXL and they want bucket seats. They'd like the chrome wheels and they know that if they get the three package, it gets the side blind zone alert. I mean, they know as much about the specific model. Mm -hmm. I can't keep it all in my head. I, I got a brand question for the brand that you're best known for, Buick, which is, how do you square the idea that you know they decide they're going to keep Buick uh, in the U.S. as one of the brands remaining? We know it's big in China, and they they, they think that uh, it has a big future there. And all while that's going on, they decide when the product is probably better than ever. Now is the time we're going to get rid of Tiger Woods. <laughs> I mean, well, they paid I, him a lot of money. Yeah. They'd run its course with it. I'm not a big believer in having spokespeople. And I think, actually, Tiger would have been better for the demographic of Pontiac than Buick. Mm -hmm. Although we have an affinity for golf, and he's the greatest. So, well, I, you know, yeah, I I'm not a big believer in, in okay. you know, whether it's Howie Long or it's uh, years ago we had, uh, well, Ricardo Montalban was with Chrysler. Mm -hmm. And we had, uh, oh, I forget his name, but, you know, I'm not a big believer in Susie Orman. You know, let the product sell. We should f focus on features and lifestyle and product benefits and get off the spokesman and the price and the red tag sales and all this other crap. How many customers do you have under the age of uh, 60 buying Buicks? Well, very many? Buying Buicks? Yeah, very mm, many. A third, perhaps. Really? Thanks to the Enclave, specifically. Mm -hmm. What a great vehicle. I mean, that's world class. Can you survive with uh, one third, only one third under 60? I mean, it just seems to well, be probably certainly 55, the 65, 65 and 60. 65 <laughs> and 70 year olds have purchasing power. They're used sure. to buying new cars every year, yeah. you know. And plus, these people are driving, and, and their whole families see them, you know. So it's great marketing. It's a great. See, we missed it with Buick. We went through the greatest demographic in the world, and we quit making the Roadmaster and the LeSabre. I mean, the worst marketing you could imagine. General Motors is so mismanaged. It's what's caused all this decimation. I've been seeing it for years. Four years ago, I called for Wagner's resignation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I could see it. I was slightly ahead of my time. Here's a, another uh, Twitter question or comment. It's from a guy named Jim Rathman. I don't know if that's the Indy 500 winner from in the 60s. But anyway, <laughs> it's Jim Rathman. He says, when dealers lose money, it's theirs, not the shareholders or the governments. Factory guys lose a job. Dealers lose their life. It seems to be saying what you're saying here. How they can cancel their franchise or not renew their franchise boggles my mind. This is insanity. How can Obama let this happen? He wants to protect jobs, help the, forget the banks. You got dealerships across the United States supporting the community, providing jobs. 
and we're going to close these guys? This is criminal. And with that point, we're going to have to end this here. We're going to leave these cameras rolling, though. As you can tell, we're not done with this discussion. We're going to be able to go to the, our website on this. But Jim Dollinger, thanks so much for coming in and talking about what you think GM should be doing. David Kiley, Paul Eisenstein, thank you. And like I said, we're going to be on the web. Thanks for watching today's show. And you know, if you need more than a weekly dose of an insider's view of the auto industry, check out our daily newscast at autolinedaily.com. It's a six minute daily webcast of what's going on in the global automotive industry. Then on Thursday nights at 7 p.m., it's time for Autoline After Hours, an unvarnished, brutally honest conversation that brings some of the best opinions in the business to the forefront. My co-hosts for that show are Peter DeLorenzo, the publisher of AutoExtremist.com, and Jason Vines, longtime public relations executive, who both bring a lot of experience to the discussion. But that wraps up this show. For all of us here at AutoLine Detroit, thanks for watching. We'll see you next week.